our cities serve two masters. Perhaps that's generalising, but let's stick with it for the moment. Two masters are people and their cars. And, and the balance between those two might even be tipped somewhat unhealthily away from people. And the cars, well, they are becoming huge uh, in Australia, as with the rest of the world, the, the SUV, the sports utility vehicle, it, it reigns supreme. Big lumps of motor and metal. In this country, it's, it's the most popular new vehicle type. Sales have been doubling year on year. It is extraordinary. I mean, you will have noticed that on the roads around you. And if we zoom out globally... SUVs made up 46% of all new car sales in 2022. That's according to the International Energy Agency. That's a big number. And the agency estimates there are some 330 million SUVs on the road around the world. And in 2022, it's estimated these vehicles emitted almost 1 billion tonnes of CO2. What does that mean? Well, that equates to the combined national emissions of the UK and Germany for last year. It's huge. Our next guest is of the, of the view that there are questions to ask about the world's romance with the SUV. His name is Brent Totteron. He's a Canadian urbanist, former chief urban planner for Vancouver, where he joins us from today. Brent, welcome. Hello and thank you. Is there a globally agreed definition, just to define our terms, of, of what we mean by the SUV? I don't think there, there might be, but, but it's always been a confusing question for me. We tend to use this word car as the, uh, the catch-all term, and it is almost strange to refer to it as cars nowadays because there's so few of what we used to call cars on the road. The, the grouping that I hear is SUVs, pickup trucks, and passenger vans, which sometimes all get referred to as SUVs, but I certainly consider a pickup truck to be different. We've been talking about the, the explosive growth of SUVs, sports utility vehicles, as an alternative to the regular car for years now, but it's only been in more recent years that we've talked specifically about the, the urban pickup truck, the, the, the explosive sales of pickup trucks in cities, not in rural areas where they kind of make sense, but in, in cities, and they're being bought by stockbrokers and accountants. There's the, there's the narrative of on Wall Street in New York City almost every every wall street broker has a pickup truck because it's the new virile man statement kind of thing so you know we've gone from car the term general term cars to suvs being huge to now pickup trucks which sometimes get lumped into the same category as of suvs it certainly leads me confused because for, for 31 years as a city planner, I've been talking about, are we designing and planning cities for people or for cars? And now I don't know if, if cars is the right term uh, anymore to really capture what's really been happening. Because it, it often feels to me like if we were still planning for cars, that would be easier. But we're not planning for cars anymore. We're planning for SUVs and pickup trucks. And there's all sorts of ways in which that's a problem. And that, that thing that I mentioned in the introduction about the carbon emissions from these vehicles is, is one. And, and they tend to be because of their size, because of their weight, big, powerful things. They're, they're V6 diesels, they're, they're V8s, they're, they're large, motored, large cars. And, and, I, and I suspect them, and, and tell me if I'm wrong here from a planning point of view, that they are bigger 
in terms of their 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 footprint on a road than was intended for those spaces the 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 roads in our cities were never designed to have these great big things on them well particularly the really big pickup trucks these days but even with suvs um you know they're, they're heavier that means they they create more wear and tear on the roads which actually creates more air pollution because wear and tear on the roads releases dust and particles that go into our lungs and make us sick you know, we, we used to consider SUVs to be a kind of a niche market of motor mm. vehicles. It was for the, the proverbial soccer mom, if you can handle the sexism of that term, because it wasn't just moms, of course. Uh, but, you know, it was for families. That, it was a family vehicle, kind of like the minivan was. It wasn't cool. It was for moms and dads. Uh, and But uh, somewhere along the road, uh, no pun intended, it became just known as a better, safer car. And particularly the word safer is the key thing. It got perceived as being a bigger vehicle and that made you safer when you were in it. It was kind of like wearing armor. And um, along the way, we got into a bit of a vehicle arms race where people wanted to be in bigger vehicles, even if there was just one person in the car commuting to work or going to buy milk, just one person in the bigger vehicle, it made them feel safer. Then the people in the smaller cars started to feel less safe because they thought they would lose in a collision between the two. So they had to build buy a bigger vehicle. And now you kind of feel, you know, vulnerable if you don't have the bigger vehicle, whether you ever needed it for the original reason the class of vehicle was created, which was to accommodate families. And now with pickup trucks, we're going through the same thing. Pickup trucks used to be for a specific purpose, like, you know, either doing construction work or farm work or pulling your boat. And now it's, you know, it's carrying your briefcase in, in New York City or going to get a jug of milk and one person is in it. And so, and again, it's about feeling powerful in this perception of safe. And so the irony is, you know, we, we've all gotten into bigger vehicles to feel more safe. The emissions and the uh, fuel efficiency has gotten better per square inch of vehicle, but because the vehicles have gotten bigger and because we think they're greener because the fuel efficiency has improved, we've bought more of them and driven them further, which has actually meant our oil and gas consumption has been going up and up and up, even though the, the, the technically on paper, the vehicles of similar size have gotten more fuel efficient, but because they've gotten bigger, it's erased that benefit. Let's pick through a bit of that because <laughs> there's a lot against them. I mean, that, that notion that, that people buy them for, for, for safety, I mean, that, that in itself is questionable. These are large, high centre of gravity, big, hefty things which take a lot to stop or to change direction of. I mean, is, is the safety boast, is that valid? Well, I think if you only do it in the context of crash tests, you, you very may well find that if, if a big truck hits a small car, the big truck's going to work out okay. And so if that is your definition of safety, you'll probably kill your neighbor, but you'll live, then, then it probably is technically safer. Are you more likely to have that accident because you're in the big truck? Absolutely. So the vehicle is less safe because you're more likely to actually be in an accident because of it. Because to your point, its sight lines are awful. It's 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 stopping distances are bad. Uh, it's it's particularly more likely to hit, to hit pedestrians. It's really more likely to hit kids. 
And, you know, it is kids disproportionately that are walking in our cities because, you know, adults, we, we frankly, we should be designing cities so adults walk more. But some of the most common folks walking in cities are kids, our families, walking to school, what have you. Uh, so, and we want them to do that because it's healthier for them. It's better for them uh, even in terms of their school performance. So, it, we, we've got an obligation in city planning where we're trying to make cities more walkable and bike friendly and do more trips with fewer vehicles, both for emissions, but also for space. And at the same time, the marketplace is creating quite deliberately through, through successful marketing, a counter pressure of bigger and bigger vehicles that is worse for the environment, worse for public safety, worse for city planning and space planning, et cetera. And so the question becomes, you know, what as cities should we do about it? Obviously, again, we're not talking about anybody who actually needs these vehicles, but for anyone who's buying them on a discretionary basis, you know, you, you don't need that vehicle, but you're choosing it for some reason. I hope you're listening and reconsidering that choice. But what cities and states uh, have started to do, some have called for the ban of these vehicles within cities. I have not done that. But I do think that there are pricing mechanisms, including vehicle registration fees or congestion charging fees or what have you, that say, well, these vehicles should be paying their fair share because, frankly, they take more space. Frankly, they generate more um, impact on our roads and our public costs and our services and our public health, et cetera. So you've got, I think there's been about seven states in the United States, California's about to do it, that is specifically starting to charge vehicle registration fees based on weight. And they, they do it differently for electric vehicles because, um, you know, there's benefits to electric vehicles, but electric vehicles are kind of a double whammy. They're heavier because of the massive battery right off the bat. So a similar size vehicle will be heavier as an electric vehicle but it has other benefits. But if you combine that with also being a bigger vehicle to begin with, you've got these massively heavy things driving around in our streets. Um, so, you know, how, how to uh, create a pricing mechanism that makes sure that the people who buy them are paying their full costs of the actual wear and tear, the public costs associated with their choice and not being subsidized by the rest of us. But also, you know, having rather than a ban, a mechanism that says, you know, we're hoping if you don't need these size of size of vehicles, you'll rethink uh, your discretionary choice to buy one. I wonder, though, you know, the, the psychology that is, is driving this, I, I suspect, is strong. And I suspect that the, the psychology is, has a lot to do with our sudden sense of precariousness in all sorts of ways. I'm a student of the actual marketing strategies. I follow on social media many of the car companies because I, I, I'm fascinated by their language. And by fascinated, I kind of mean horrified because, <laughs> you know, they actually sell the muscle. They, they actually even sometimes sell the danger. The language is particularly uh, aggressive. It is enticing. Um, and especially if you want a larger vehicle, but you want to feel like, you know, it's got the coolness of a small sports car, but it's a larger vehicle that's kind of for the family. Well, maybe I'll just buy something very manly like a truck. And and that's what they're trying to create in the marketing mindset. And they're, as I've said, they've been very successful. And, you know, the way to address that is to tell the truth 
about the numbers, tell the truth about the cost, tell the truth about the consequences, and we have that conversation more aggressively. So people have all the facts. I wonder if that will is there. I mean, and, and, and I wonder, much as urban planning and, and all sorts of other forces in the culture would wish cars to be smaller, would wish cars to be diminished, here is a trend pushing entirely in the opposite direction. And I wonder at what points we have to adapt to that, that we have to concede ground that this is the reality on our roads and start to make, you know, planning decisions accordingly. Well, that's a that's a, an interesting discussion going on in cities right now, because as an advisor to cities, and that's what I do, what we know in the context of the number of cars is the more roads you build, it actually induces more driving. The wider roads we build, the more people actually drive. Similarly, the, the bigger the parking spaces are, the more parking spaces, the wider the lanes, the deeper the driveway depths, the, it's inducing the ability to purchase larger vehicles. And it's taking up a massive amount of space. It will add to housing unaffordability because it was add to the price of your housing, add to the price of your public spaces in cities like streets and such, which would add to your taxes. Um, and it would actually, as I say, induce and, and certainly support uh, more purchases like that. So the advice I'm giving cities is if people want to make those choices, they have to figure out a way to accommodate that choice on their own. Because we certainly should not be designing every street to the largest vehicle out there. Because that's just a race to the bottom. Because, you know, as vehicles get bigger and bigger... The, are you just going to keep making streets and parking wider and wider and bigger and bigger? So it's it's a problem when you, you sort of go down that path. So what many cities are saying is whether we charge more fees and registration charges or what have you for those vehicles or not, people who make that choice in cities, and again, I'm not talking in rural areas, I'm not talking in areas where these vehicles are more prevalent based on real-life use, but in cities where these vehicles you know, very few people actually need them, then they're going to have to figure out how they, um, where they, where they can fit them. If that means they have to buy a more expensive parking space in their underground parking uh, because uh, they've got an unusually large building, well, that's a cost that's associated with their choice. And we're not talking about freedom of choice here. We're talking about paying the fair costs associated with your choice. Hmm. Oh, Brent, it's a pickle. Human psychology, it's a complex and often self-damaging beast. Thank you for picking, taking, taking us on, a, on a, a gentle path through a, a very difficult issue. Well, my pleasure. And if nothing else, I hope the next time we see these, uh, these ads from car companies and truck companies, your listeners will look at them and say, oh, I see what they're doing there. I see what they're trying to sell me. I see the, 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 the need they're trying to create in me. And, and they're trying to trick me into buying something more than I need. And if, if they succeed, it's going to have big costs and consequences for everyone. If, if we have that as the result of this media interview, then we've done a good thing. Maybe that, that grain of self-awareness may save us. Thank you. Uh, Brent Totteran, uh, an urbanist, Vancouver's former chief urban planner. You can find him at his urban design consultancy, Totteran Urban Works. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.